What is next for the Canucks after a complete catastrophe in Colorado? It's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. <laughs> I am Jamie Dodd, my co-host as always, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who of course covers the team at The Athletic as well. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Uh, Drancer, we've been doing the show, what, about a month now at this point? Around that? Uh, we've had a lot of firsts, first times on the show. This is the first edition of Canucks Hour on a day where... The temperature is at an absolute boiling point. That might not even encompass it enough. What's, what's worse than a boiling degrees point? Fahrenheit. Yeah, it, this is a, a unique type of show in sports radio in Vancouver sports radio because <laughs> the what, fire episode. What we witnessed last <laughs> night was it was it was a disgrace. It was disgraceful. Let's just let's just put it out there. Or are you going to disagree? No, no. It was the type of game where you need to come up with a moniker for it. It's like the Mile High Meltdown. Yeah. The Colorado Catastrophe. Like, there's no way to encapsulate just how bad they were. It was one of those beautiful, you know, in a certain way. But, like, really, it was a flat, ugly performance, right? The Avs had more goals in the opening 20 minutes than Vancouver had shots on goal. Like, by night's end, I think you could say that You'd look at the scoreline and the result read 7-1. It was worse than that. It felt worse than that. And it was, a honestly, a confidence-shattering outing. Not just for these players, not just for the coaching staff, for the entire organization and the direction of this team. It felt, you know, it's one of those days where you feel like we could spend the whole hour just, you know, going through the thesaurus and coming up with different like, different adjectives <laughs> to describe what we saw sorry, last sorry. night. It's, it's a show with you and me. Like, that's exactly what we're going to do. Turn to because, page 18. <laughs> my goodness. There's there's really, like, you, you choose any word you want to describe it. Or, you know, we ran through them. Exactly. Disaster. <laughs> you know, disgraceful. Embarrassing. Shocking. Right. Whatever shocking. you want. I like shocking, actually. You know, it was um, a shocking result. Shambolic, if you want to bring yeah. some. Uh, some European footy flavor to the proceedings. <laughs> Whatever adjective you want to choose, basically, that was it. And as you said, 7-1. Ooh. And look, you never feel good about a 7-1 result. But that there was something to the flow of that one and the shape of it and the, the feel of it. You know, we're all about vibes now in 2021. The vibes of that one somehow felt even worse than your normal 7-1 game. Yeah, and not to throw another one, but galling. Uh, it, <laughs> they played with a galling lack of speed, right? A, a galling lack of precision. And here's the worst part, a galling lack of pride, right? Like a, a galling lack of pride was yeah. what was shown by the Canucks. Like the special teams were disorganized. And here's what's scariest to me, Jamie. The first period, the Canucks end 3 nothing. Was it the worst period they played this season? On form. Yeah, I mean, I don't as you was. said, they, they... I don't think it was. I, if it wasn't, it's very close. Here's the worst part. Here's the worst part. I think that that period is actually not dissimilar from some of the other bad first periods or bad second periods that the Canucks have had over the course of the season. It's just that it felt a lot worse because the goaltending wasn't superhuman through it. And so the form that they showed actually showed on the scoreboard as opposed to it being something where they came out of it with only one goal down and then they fought back and they only lose by one and it's like, they're right there! It was just, you know, all of a sudden Demko wasn't, 
you know, the the force field, the like the human embodiment of a force field around the net that he's been all season. And all of a sudden this team looks to be in the disarray that in fact they too often are uh, night in, night out. And it's, you know, there were a lot of similarities with how that game started and how other games have started for the Canucks, right? Because they give up the penalty, the goal and the penalty kill. Then you have a power play, not that long after that, right? Okay, hey, go score a goal. Tie game in the first period. Yeah. You have a chance to change the shape of that game completely flat. Didn't get anything going. Give up the goal right after that. There was never a single well, And the second. odd man rush came yeah. just as the Canucks were, like, getting back to... And it was a four-on-one rush, yeah. and somehow Demko makes the save. And then they get, like, three more great A's right off the hop. And then, and then you've got them pressing again, and you've got a Tucker-Pullman shot block, just like one of those classic plays that where the Canucks are generating something and it ends up on the stick of Tucker Pullman and it's going the other way because he's not going to make the right play. And then Hughes and Pedersen are left to do the hard work, keying the breakout and getting reset. Pedersen too careless. Bowen Byram makes a really good aggressive push or, or press up. Um, boom, three, nothing. It's um, it, there was never a single second in that game where you felt like the Canucks were engaged. no, no, where you felt like they were going to turn the tide, stem the tide, where they're gonna, where they were gonna try to turn the game around. It, it never felt like that once well, watching that game. For everything we talked about, right? Disorganized special teams, the goaltending not being superhuman, a lack of speed, precision, and pride in terms of the players' effort levels, right? Like all of that, put that all together, it's a correlation of forces that's too much for a team to overcome, particularly when that team's roster probably isn't playoff caliber to begin with. And we should mention, by the way, <laughs> the texts are already coming in, even without me throwing out the uh, the number. But yeah, this is the kind of day when I know listeners, fans have lots to contribute to the conversation. So we do want to hear from you. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We might open the phone lines a little bit later as well, Drancer. <laughs> to, to, I, uh, tonight it should be called the, or today for today's show only, it should be called the Dunbar Lumber Woodshed. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we, look, we've all seen blowouts before, not just for the Canucks, certainly for the Canucks, but for other <laughs> NHL teams. We've all been watching well. this team for the last seven years. And <laughs> we've seen some We all know there's, um, you know, there's a way that teams handle blowouts after the game, right? The captain comes out and says that was completely unacceptable and we're going to take a look in the mirror and we know what we have to do to turn things around. And the coach, you know, sometimes he throws the team and he, he really goes, you know, fire and brimstone on the team. But sometimes he reiterates what the captain had to say. Maybe another top player says that. We saw that last night, right? Bo Horvat, Elise Patterson. That, that's the screen. problem with the Zoom era. There's no reporter sniffing around trying to go to the guy who's really, really mad and getting like the really glorious. There's no Yannick Hansen truth teller, you know, sort of in the corner just talking to one reporter and laying it out. You know, that's that that's part of the issue. You you trot out the best soldiers this group has in Horvat and Tanner Pearson, and they say all the right things, right? They'll yep. they'll always say all the right things. Uh, it's just a very different dynamic. Yannick Hansen will be on uh, the People Show later today. So the if you ultimate. Wanna, if you want to hear some uh, some truth telling from Yannick Hansen, yeah. who does not hold back when he comes on the radio, no, he does, you will he never, hear it later today. He never held back in the dressing room. It was yeah. great. Uh, love the honey badger. Anyways, my point is, okay, you go through the motions like that. That's fine. Great. I mean, it's better than it's better than being blase in front of the media, I guess. But I, I was just I was listening to the players, and, I, and I'm not trying to single Bo Horvat out or anything. I'm listening to the players. I'm listening to the coach. And it's just like, we're just going through the motions here, right? Like, it, it just feels like everyone's just, okay, we got blown out, so this is what we have to do. But we've heard this all before. 
We've heard these exact quotes before and this exact emotion before from the same principles involved. And it's just the sense of futility watching that game and then watching the conversations happening after that game. You know, sometimes a game like this happens and you think it's going to be a real flashpoint, right? Okay, the team's in crisis. We're going to find out what this team's made of. Or there's going to be a big change in the organization. It's just, again, we've been here before. We've been here many, many times before. Nothing has ever changed. And I'm just, I'm struggling to find a reason why anyone should believe this crisis moment is going to be different than the other ones. I don't think it will. And that's the worst part about this. It's like... It's a it's a spinning hamster wheel. As fast as you want to run, as many fire takes as the media wants to pump out, as many fire takes ta- takes as you want to text in to the Dunbar Lumber f- Woodshed at six fifty six fifty. You know we've we're now almost a decade into this era of Canucks hockey, and it has been completely insulated from any real world results. Do you remember we used to talk about results like this is a results business? Is it? It hasn't been in this market in forever. It doesn't feel like it's imminently going to be in this market. And so sort of what's left to accomplish? Like we're looking at this team and, you know, I know the defense has exceeded expectations to this point in the season. But last night, like I don't know if you saw the avalanche just whipping cross-seam passes across the ice at will against this Canucks defense last night. But like there's not a ton of suspense here. I don't know how we sort of look at this team and the defensive talent that they have and the two-way IQ of the blue liners that they're icing on a night-to-night basis and think, this team can do something. You know, like, I, I, I just, I don't get it. I, honestly, I'm, I'm at a loss as to how this is the team constructed when the organization decided to go all in on this season. So, especially when you're coming off a game like this and when you're already having a season like the Canucks are having, there is there is no shortage of blame to go around. And you can basically None. pick out, you know, you can go up and down the roster, up and down the coaching staff, certainly in the front office, anyone you want to pick out and point the finger at, there's going to be a valid criticism to levy at that person, right? And I, I want to read some texts that are coming in here. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Ben from Kitts says, Green, Baumgartner, and King need to go. This team should be a lot better on paper. These guys have done nothing with what they have. The players have a responsibility to this, of course, but it seems like these coaches have not inspired this team to better themselves at all. A change is needed to try and reignite some kind of spark in this group. That's I, from Ben from Kitts. Just a second. Before we go, another text comes in unsigned. No fire green banners flying over Vancouver yet. And what I'm trying to illustrate here, Drancer, is that it feels like another one comes in. The coach needs to be replaced. Not to say Greener won't be a good coach, but he's not the right coach for this group. As I said, I'm not I'm I'm not going to come here and and choose (laughs) this is my moment to plant my flag in the ground for Travis Green. But to pick him out at this moment really feels like missing the point to me. Yeah. I get it. I get the frustration. The team is off to a slow start. We've seen changing the coach early in the season, have success in the NHL before. I understand all that. It's his fifth year. That's a long time. But I, if you're just making the list of, okay, where does the blame land here? Travis Green is not not at the top of my list. Not close to the top of my list, I don't think. No, he's not for me either. But that's just because, you know, I think this reaction is understandable because Noel Brown's in Anaheim. So everyone's deprived <laughs> of their number one target. Uh, look, I loved I loved the text in from Ben and Kitts because, in particular, it omitted Bradshaw and Ian Clark. 
right? It's like it's like the two members of the coaching staff that have a Q rating insulated how, from the rest of the group. How long is that going to last for Bradshaw, though? Uh, right. Ian I Clark mean, is, Ian Clark is, he's fine. Ian Clark's untouchable, yeah, but yeah. in this market. Bradshaw, we'll see. <laughs> right. Like, I, Bradshaw fixes everything, man. Anyway, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that if this was, if this issue, if this team's slow start, right? And here, here's the other thing. Sometimes you'll say something like, after a loss like that, like, this season is going sideways, right? Or this season started yeah. sideways. You know, this, yeah. right from the get-go, right from the get-go, this club opened camp and they had their best players missing for the first two weeks during protracted contract negotiations, right? Those deals were left last minute while the club took care of everything else over the course of the offseason. Uh, you had a first-pair defenseman with an unexplained absence, right? Uh, top pair. Top pair guy project, projected in most depth charts in the offseason in Travis Hamanick. Um, the absence obviously shouldn't be reduced to something as simple as vaccine-related, but but that was part of it, sure. obviously. Uh, meanwhile, the club's only reliable right-handed centerman's absent, and still is absent, out of action indefinitely, due to long COVID symptoms related to the club's 2021 outbreak, Right. And then the puck dropped on this season, which which opened with some sense of optimism and curiosity, and which is now unfolding in insert whatever adjective you want, um, ignominious perhaps, fashion, right? The Canucks' best players, they look rusty if you're feeling generous, right? And you could probably fairly say they look checked out more often than not, right? They're constantly trailing. They're constantly trailing in part because their special teams is nothing short of, again, insert adjective, disaster, and they've now put in multiple no-show efforts on the road this season, and they've only played seven road games. And and as as you compute all of this, like what sort of makes it worse is that this is all all feels kind of of a part. Like that game against Colorado, that result didn't feel like it was an out of nowhere thing. It felt like it was a part, um, you know, a, a part of this Canucks sort of the expectations it felt like a level set like a, an elite team that's rebuilt wisely and patiently over the course of the past decade right running rough shot even without their best player over an also ran team mired without a coherent plan or flexibility uh smack dab in the mushy middle of the nhl it's you know they're too bad to bottom out like the coyotes and they're and they're or sorry they're too good to bottom out like the coyotes and they're too bad to make the playoffs without a significant dose of luck and, and now we're sort of on the precipice of watching the rest of this season unfold, unless they can get it together pretty quick here, and saying, uh, is this the year finally that accountability returns to Vancouver? And one of the things you you mentioned there is something that really stood out to me in the game last night, Drancer, and that's the idea of, of effort, energy, you know, as you said, you called it a no-show. Look, I, I don't want to play, you know, armchair body body language interpreter that much sure on this you do. show. Go ahead, but it is sports radio, so I'll dip my <laughs> I'll dip my toe in the waters. It, that was it, it was a, that was an embarrassing effort, it, and and you was and look, I'm not I am the farthest thing from a hey, you're losing six nothing, you know, go blindside a guy in the head to show that you care. That's not what I'm about. But you have to do something to illustrate that you care. You have to do something. There has to be some sort of pride taken in the performance. And I just thought that was completely absent no, last night. And you're right. It was. And, and you know, this sort of people have been talking about this team not having an identity. Right. And and one thing that, 
you know, I, I've had some of them in my Twitter mentions, for example, is like, the depth is fixed. This is on the top players. And by the way, the top players have not played well enough, right? We, how, no, how, they haven't been good enough. How much have we talked about Pedersen and Besser yeah. on this program? I mean, it's an everyday topic for me. But all of that said, when your PK is scuffling like this and your PK is mostly your fourth line players, like that's kind of on your depth. And the other thing that's kind of on your depth, and this has been a repeated issue through eight years of, of the of Benning era management, right? Like what's sort of ironic to me is that this regime, which, you know, came in with the meat and potatoes moniker, right, is now struggling because of all these meat and potatoes reasons, like not having a right-handed centerman, for, no. not having a good enough blue line, you know, not having enough not having a lefty that can kill penalties. Like these are the most meat and potatoes hockey things that this team's falling short on. And then, and then finally you get to a point where you're in a game like last night and Justin Dowling gets boarded and no one responds like that. What all of these guys. And again, you, you know, from the, from the era of Beagle and Schaller through to now with Yuho Lamico and Jason Dickinson, and you've got all these bottom six guys who are effectively checkers Right with sort of nothing descript about their game, if that yeah. makes sense. They're they're not tough. They're not really fast. They're not really offensive threats. They don't really hit. Like what 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 do they do? And 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 you know you, if you don't have a fourth line that can do something else, that can bring something meaningful, that can bring a different dimension, you end up with this sort of morass of redundant checkers just kind of being out there to not get scored against. And I think it hurts you when you're looking for any type of emotion and and just to top this off like you lose Zach McEwen and Jonah Gadjevich on waivers this uh, this offseason for what like for for what it's not like they lost them because they had all this enviable depth that needed to be carefully protected like this fourth line's playing like 3 4 minutes a game and not playing that well um those are guys that can bring that though sometimes we get I think we get we can get carried away with the idea of okay, you know, you have to you have to have certain role players on your team, right? Like at a certain point the goal is to acquire a lot of good players, but what you're saying is true. <laughs> like players have to players have to have some idea of what they're contributing or you should have some idea of like specifically what is this player going to contribute. And there are still too many players on the roster where it's like what is their role? What what do they do on this team? How are they going to move the needle and help this team have yeah. success other than just well, hey, we can put them out there to rest the the top six, right? right. And that like, matters yeah. too. Yeah, but like I you, mean, they're not even getting that from their fourth line. No, you know, like they, it's not like uh, the Dryden Hunt, Greg McKeg fourth line that we saw the Rangers ice in Vancouver, where they're playing nine minutes a night, five on five. Like it's not like that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, it's fundamentally, fundamentally, the way that this roster has been assembled, uh, it's it's flawed. It's flawed in its construction. And, and to top it off, I don't think they're getting the most out of the pieces that they have, right? So it's like, it's no. on management, it's on coaching. And then also, there's no patience for a result like this in this marketplace, in part because it's been years and years and years of this. Like, it's been years of this. And, and the no. club spent five or six years rebuilding. Like, do you remember that Francesco Aquilini interview on the People Show to open the season? And he talked about, you know, doing things the right way and the length of the rebuild. And it's like they associate the length in which the team has been bad with having rebuilt carefully and with discipline, but they never did. Yeah. They were always looking for shortcuts. It's just that it's failed so often that the team's been bad for so long. 
And so now we get to this point where because there's been no accountability in this market forever, there's no patience, there's tons of blame to go around, and the fans seem pretty fed up with it. And that was, you know, as I was Rightly. saying, as I was saying earlier, you know, we heard, you know, Bo Horvat and Tanner Pierce and Travis Green, they all come out and they say the right things. And you're right, in a different context, Strance, that cuts it after a 7-1 loss, right? In a different context with a team with a different history, if your captain and your other players all come out and show accountability after a 7-1 loss, people can move on. Okay, like, hey, it happens, burn the tape, move on to the next game. As you said, the history and the context here prevents people from doing that because it feels like the culmination of eight years. It feels like deja vu, right? Where like it was, It hasn't even been a year since... We all thought, I, I, at least I'll put my hand up, we all thought that change at the top of the organization was imminent, right? And, and Francesco Aquilini had to come out and put out a tweet thread to say that it's not happening. That was less than a year ago. We're already back at another crisis boiling point, it seems, in this market. So it was like nine months ago. Yes. Oh, my goodness. It was February of this year. Yeah. Well, and no, and you can't divorce those, like, those who don't learn from our history are doomed to repeat it, right? And that's sort of how it always goes. That's how it always goes. And so as we sort of work through where the Canucks are, I, I just it's impossible to divorce what this team is right now, right, from how they got here and from the success in the bubble and from the belief that what we'd see this year would more closely resemble that success despite the fact that the club has since then – change directions twice in meaningful ways in how they do their business. First, you know, cutting, cutting spend on player personnel to a percentage that was, you know, among the lead leaguer, league leaders going into last season, right? And then becoming flush with cash and becoming a win-now team again. When you change direction like that, like when you don't slowly, carefully, you know, with discipline build your roster, but instead are sort of responding to and reacting to the changing winds in this league, in a hard-capped league, in a league that's effectively an efficiency competition, you're dead in the water. And, you know, I have seen a couple of, uh, hey, you know, it's one game, or a loss is a loss, whether it's by six goals or one goal or whatever. But I want, I want to read a couple texts that kind of illustrate why I don't think that's applicable here. And first is from Andy, the park ranger. Says, boy, oh boy, is it getting hard to root for this team. I've been a huge supporter through the whole rebuild, but I'm at the point where I'm over it. And my biggest fear is that this team might need another rebuild retool to correct things. And there was another text that uh, that came in that says from Wall, uh, from Wall Street, apparently, who says, love the show, guys. I have to say as a diehard Nux fan, it's gotten to the point where I don't care anymore. That's one of the worst things that can happen to a fan or fan base. I've never seen another coach in the NHL who praises rival teams as much as Green does. And I think the reason I wanted to read those two texts together <laughs> is it gets to the sense of apathy that I think a large segment of the fan base is feeling right and and that's why the context and the history matters because if this was a if this was a one-off or this was a team early in the rebuilding process and you go out there and lay a stinker okay you can walk away from it but with this team and what the team has been through over the last eight years, it, it just leads to more and more apathy and frustration setting in. Uh, Justin Morissette running the show, running the board here today at the studio. Jamie, what's on your mind? Well, uh, great point that you just made there, Jamie, because I do believe that apathy is, uh, you know, worse than anger. As, ma- as many fans that there are today that are angry, there are countless more that just tapped out on this experience years ago and have nothing but apathy for this team until some kind of major change is made. But, uh, Drance, you were just talking about learning from history 
and looking back on the eight years of this team. And on the People's Show yesterday, they were talking about uh, what this team can do to make a move to improve their current state, which uh, they landed on, you know, perhaps trading a Jack Rathbone for somebody who's a more established defenseman currently who can help right now. And to that, I would say, would this team not be better right now with Gustav Forsling on it? We've already made that move over the past eight years. It didn't work out then. It probably won't work out now. They would be, like, Gustav Forslund is a left-shot defenseman. He's exactly what they need right now. They had him. They traded him as a shortcut in a move that just never worked out. And, and personally, I do not want to see that again. I We've done that. I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, and we, we talked about that yesterday. We landed at a similar place, uh, Jamie. But, I, I mean, without question, right, this is a moment. Like last season with Toffoli, you know, coming out like um, like the green Megazord, you know what I'm saying, and of, uh, of English Bay and just stomping all over downtown Vancouver as he did, right? It was a moment where it felt like chickens were coming home to roost for this club, and now you look around the league and some of those accelerant deals that the Canucks have made over the years, whether it's Jonathan Dolan, who's, you know, leading the San Jose Sharks in scoring, whether it's Jared McCann returning from a, a four-game stint on the COVID protocol to score two goals for the Kraken. He's at nine points in nine games, whether it's Gustav Forsling, like all of those guys are doing the kinds of things that, you know, boy, the Canucks could use if they'd taken it a different approach years earlier. It's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Man, we have just tons and tons of texts coming in. 650, 650, if you want to join the conversation. Uh, this one comes in. Drancer's cinnamon, synonym game is on point oh, my, today. My cinnamon game is yeah. also on I point. Mean, I mean, I thought I was doing a pretty good job uh, you know, you with know, the adjectives, too. I, but, I thought but, so, too. But sure, signal Drancer. That's, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. My feelings aren't hurt. I, I, like to think, I like to think that my synonym game was on point, and so was yours, Jamie. But yes. also my cinnamon game was yes. on point because I was on a roll. Yes. hey oh, let's Oof. go. Go to break before Oof. Mike Martinago gets mad at me. Oof. I don't know about that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, lots more to come. We'll continue to dive in uh, to what happened last night, what it means for the franchise. Again, 650-650. It's the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in. We'll get to a whole bunch of them after the break. It's the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. Canucks Hour here. Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Canucks Insider Thomas Drance here. And uh, I had a sneaking suspicion this would be the case, Drancer, but no shortage, no shortage of feedback from listeners coming into the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, the Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Avenue Machinery.ca. Now, Drancer, you know, we, we try to, um, uh, I think the, the overriding goal of this show is we really, we dig into what really matters about the Canucks. You know, we're not distracted by the shiny objects everyone else is chasing, right? We, we find the really important story. And that's why today, you know, we're going to talk about the biggest story around this team right now, which is that they recalled Madison Bowie today. Yeah, they call, recalled Madison Bowie. And in the event that, in the event that Tucker Pullman, who this is the other news of the day, faces a telephonic hearing, and it is in yep. fact called a th telephonic hearing in the CBA, um, in the event that he is suspended for any length of time, and of course that suspension could not exceed five games because it's not an in-person hearing, um, you know, Bowie would play. Yep. Bowie would play. And you know what? I'm curious to see that. I'm honestly curious Let's to go. see that. Bowie's fast. He's big. Played well in training camp. 
I mean, he's got more NHL experience than Tucker Pullman, frankly. I uh, I don't think there'll be a big fall-off necessarily if the Canucks have to insert t- uh, Madison Bowie into the lineup. will be nice to see him get a shot. It's been a long time coming. We've, uh, yeah, sure has. Uh, we've said it a lot already this year about different things, but why not try it? Why not? Wait, it, What's oh, the worst what? that can happen? Yeah. Oh, oh, we're really going to upset the apple cart. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, uh, the other thing I'd note is that in order to make space for Madison Bowie on the lineup, in the lineup, uh, Luke Shen has been placed on injured reserve. So the, another little note, obviously we know he's week to week, so doesn't really impact when he'd come back. Um, but for now, uh, Luke Shen joins, there's one other player on IR, Matthew Highmore on yeah. injured reserve. Uh, by the way, before we move past it, you said um, they call it a telephonic hearing. That sounds like what Mr. Burns would call it. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? There's a lot of CBA stuff like that. And because, uh, you know, I'm the guy who's, who like reads it with a highlighter, uh, I like to I like to come back to the actual language here and there. It's like if you ever see hear me call uh, call it a league year. I call I call hockey season yes, a league year yes. a lot because that's the that's the language that's the legal CBA. I'm mostly trying to speak your language, Jamie. Oh yeah, that's me. All right. <laughs> um, I was. <laughs> Anyways, that's a story for another day. Six fifty, six fifty. Keep your texts coming in. We'll try to get as many to uh, get to as many of them as we can in this segment. I did want to highlight this one. Uh, you were on with Halford and Broth this morning as well, Drancer. And uh, this text comes in. First of all, it starts with a compliment for you, so that's nice. It says, loved Drance's comments on Halford and Broth this AM. I'd be interested in more detail as to just what it is Francesco Aquilini sees in the Benning administration under Gillis. The team sputtered in two consecutive playoffs, and he was gone. They also missed the playoffs at one point. Benning can't even get close to the playoffs, but he gets eight years. Why? And that's an unsigned texture, but that a variation of that question comes in a lot. And when you look at the prior history of the franchise, and this is well-established, it was you miss the playoffs and you're out. Mm-hmm. That, that was the prior history up until Jim Benning. Obviously, it has been tremendously different since then. And eight years is a long, long time in, in the NHL world. I still NHL had hair world. eight years ago, Jamie. Eight years is a long time. I was going to say, yeah, I was... I was in law school. I was. I wasn't even. hadn't even started my previous career eight years ago. That's a long time in the NHL world, and I think it's a valid question. Like, what? It's a super why valid question. Has this lasted as long as it has in a in an industry generally where that's not the case, and specifically in this market where that hasn't been the case? Well, first of all, clearly. Francesco Aquilini has an affinity for having Jim Benning as the general manager of his team, right? He's defended him at length, both in Twitter threads and on this very on these very airwaves, where he's you know said that Jim Benning shouldn't be dissed for every decision. Um, I'm, I mean, fundamentally, a personal affinity plays a role here, but as for why ownership has been willing to sit idly by uh, and not seemingly uh, insist on a level of quant- uh, like a level of quality. A level of you know basic spending accountability like when you think about this too like the Canucks for eight years have been near the bottom of the standings in the NHL but they've also been a cap team you know this isn't like Pierre yeah. Dorian in in Ottawa rebuilding on a shoestring and trying to save every dollar he can like until uh, with the exception of the 2021 season where the purse strings were dramatically tightened like the Canucks have been a have team who've behaved like a have team and there's no ROI for Canucks ownership. Like, we've seen the franchise value depreciate. We've seen the Canucks go from a top five revenue team, per Forbes's estimates, to, you know, outside the bottom ten today. I, I mean, why has ownership sat idly by and accepted that, tolerated that? 
I, I mean, that is the million dollar question around this team. And I, I don't have a fully good answer for for that texter beyond saying that it's a baffling mystery to me. Like yeah. it's 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 you know, honestly, it's it's completely wild that this organization that insisted on playoff berths for Dave Nonis, insisted on them for Mike Gillis, um, you know, that had one of the best record in hockey during Mike Gillis's tenure. You know, and then and then at the first sight of trouble, right? The Luongo trade and the Tortorella hire go sideways, and the Canucks miss the playoffs one year with a team that obviously had the true talent to be a playoff team, and he's gone. And then Jim Benning, other than that first year with a roster that you know he hadn't really had time to reconstruct yet, has never in in his eight years here made the playoffs. You know, in a in, in a, a full conventional season, season, in a conventional yeah. season, and remains you know not not just in charge, but you know, even after last year's seventh place finish in the Canadian division, seemed to get a, a vote of confidence coming out of a, a of a cataclysm of a of a campaign in twenty twenty one. It is completely baffling. It's really hard to figure, and and you know some of the potential explanations that we hear floated, right? You know, they don't Jim Benning's still under contract. They don't want to be paying two people to do the job. You know, oh they 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 don't have confidence that they would find a suitable candidate to replace them. Like those have never really squared with me. You know what I mean? Like maybe they're part of the equation, but those don't seem sufficient to to justify this course of action. And uh, and as you just said, like it's it's ultimately mystifying, so I'm not expecting you to, you know, give me the answer there, but it's just whatever it is, to me that's kind of that's the uh, you know, we the can suitable talk, we can talk about the penalty kill. We can talk about the blue line. We can yeah. talk about all that. But as you go up and up and up, the organizational structure like that's the overriding question kind of that that governs everything else. Totally. Well, then the you know the the candidate to replace thing is there's 32 NHL yes. GM jobs. Like they're highly coveted. Yes. Like don't don't kid yourself that people wouldn't want to work here. Like that's not true. And maybe you can't get your dream candidate, but you get a bright AGM somewhere who's going to jump at the chance to to run an NHL team in a Canadian market. No kidding. So, no kidding. I mean that's not that's 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 one of those like larks that I don't really uh, believe. Um, no, it's uh, you know what the team is at the moment. Uh, like they need to perform well. This is a prove it season, right? They kept leadership after a seventh place finish in the All Canadian Division. This is a prove it season for Canucks leadership. The organization declined to change leaders after they took a massive step back from the second round of the playoffs to finishing beneath the Ottawa Senators in an All Canadian Division, and. Now the season started, we're 13 games in, and the Canucks are off to one of the three worst starts in, uh, that the franchise has had in a generation. I mean, yeah, that you know, the, there are hard questions that need to be asked of this organization, and fundamentally, the hard answers aren't going to come from Travis Green and Jim Benning. Fundamentally. I always look, I look at this, and I just think... <laughs> This, if if the if there is not a dramatic turnaround in the team's fortunes on the ice this year, I don't see how it's tenable for this to be the atmosphere around the team for a full eighty-two game season. It, it just it's hard for me to compute that it's going to be like this for all eighty-two games, and I just feel eventually another shoe has to drop at some point. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe they are fine to ride it out for eighty-two games with everyone wondering what the heck is going on. But that just doesn't seem tenable. Well, you you have to sort of think through from a business perspective now, like what comes next. You know, for example, I read that the Samuelis are going to take their time to replace Bob Murray, right? And I yep. read that, and I thought, you know, the reasons given, and it was actually written in the Athletic. Uh, it's a 
post on the athletic right now talking about and the reasons given were that they you know might want to talk to some candidates after the season like they're not going to have their full gamut of potential candidates until after the season teams will grant agms the opportunity to go especially this far out from the draft yeah it's not like a month before the draft where teams are like come on like we've spent this whole year prepping like what what's going on right now you could probably hire an agm away from a contender if you really wanted to most teams would assent uh, like consent to that because people want their people to succeed by and large in this industry um you know <laughs> what's the between the lines it's like it's probably nice to not be paying a gm salary right now you know, might as well ride that out for a bit. Like, that's sort of what I read between the lines. So you have to think about those these things cynically from a business perspective and kind of evaluating how you move forward. So in the event that a, the, the game against Colorado is, is signal, not noise, right? In the event that this team continues to struggle and, in fact, begins to struggle at a level that they haven't to this point in the season. Like, they're not even competitive. They're not in games. The temperature in the market that we're seeing today and experiencing today and contributing to today, let's take some accountability <laughs> ourselves, um, Heck be- yeah. becomes an everyday thing, right? Ticket sales slow to a crawl. The novelty of being back out at the rink, you know, with, with a bunch of yahoos singing Sweet Caroline, um, wears off for people, right? Like, in the event that the team starts to really experience the business slowdown that accompanies being a punchline club, right? If that all happens, then how do you sort of change things up? And, I, you know, I do think the hierarchy exists for a reason. Part of it is maybe you can get a bounce if you change the coach. And that tends to be the first thing because with the way this team is positioned, with only $13 million in cap space following the season and a $7.5 million QO to extend Brock Besser coming out of that 13, like, if you decide that what you've done to assemble this core group, to assemble this blue line, to assemble this roster needs to be undone. If you decide that it's not good enough, it's a multi-year project to undo it. Like these contractual commitments are not easy to get out of. They don't all bring value back. We just saw that with Ekman Larson. The Coyotes had to include Garland to get anything of value back. They included a top line caliber player. And they had to take take 12 million in dead money back too, just to get a first and a second. I mean, you know, these are hard moves to undo. And so if you reach that decision, you're looking at a fundamental change in direction, whereas hiring, like replacing a coach is a much easier. So I do think that would be the first shoe in the event that the organization continued to sputter. But I also think, and it's really important to note, like until this point in the season, there have been some, yeah, you have to squint to see it, signs of, you know, what this team maybe was expected to be. Um, and I think it'll take a lot more games like the one we saw on Thursday night in Colorado for the Canucks to reach the point that they really begin to take a hard hard look at themselves internally and consider change. And maybe, you know, if we're if we're just speculating what could bump that process along, this game happens at home. That's another factor to consider. Well, right? And Colorado's the their road. first home date when they get back off this road trip. Uh, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep those thoughts coming in. And, you know, we, I wanted to address that issue because it's something that comes in a lot. Uh, here's another name that comes up a lot in the text message inbox. Carlos texts in, Trevor Linden was correct all day long. Another unsigned text says, I would love to know what Trevor Linden thinks of this mess. I don't think he'd be surprised, right? I mean... Before his departure, Lyndon pitched a slower, slow cook rebuild, right? Like, that was the pitch, was that this is going to need more time. We need more pieces. And, you know, like, the fundamental falling out was over that 
philosophical disagreement between him and the organization. And so, you know, I don't think he'd be surprised at all. And, and, you know, let's come back to, let's come back to where this team is and the fact that Pedersen has struggled, right? A lot of, a lot of texts into our inbox want us to like, you know, shine the spotlight on Pedersen struggles, which by the way, completely valid. There's a reason we talk about it every day. Uh, Brock Besser also hasn't played quite up to that level. You know, I, I, one thing that we've seen in other rebuilding efforts, right? Sometimes you get a player and you think he's next, and it turns out really he's a supporting piece for your next good team. We're seeing that in Edmonton. Everyone talks about Dreisaitl and McDavid, the franchise, but you know who was the Ross Geller in their friend's Halloween costume? Did you see their friend's <laughs> Halloween costume? I did not. Oh, yeah. Look that up. It's really good. But, you know, so McDavid's Chandler. Dreisaitl's Joey. You have to you have to find a third friend to be <laughs> to be Ross Geller. It was it was Nugent Hopkins, yeah. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who turns out to be a fringe top line caliber of player, but on it, on the Oilers, he's kind of like a supporting piece. He's perfectly cast in the role he's per- currently perfe- in. Right, exactly. Yeah. He was the first yeah. overall pick, but it turns out he's just a first line caliber forward. He's not a franchise player. Uh, look to Toronto. Nazem Kadri was on the ice for the Colorado Avalanche. There was a moment. Where he was like a point per game stud center getting kissed by Don Cherry on national television. Turns out he's just the perfect second line center. Morgan Riley just signed a huge contract. Uh, West Van's Morgan Riley in Toronto. There were there was a moment where it was thought that like Riley and Kadri, that is the those are the cornerstones yep. of this. Turns out they're not even even when the Maple Leafs had all five of those guys, like they weren't as good as Nylander or Marner or Matthews. I mean. The point in the Canucks needing more, the point in the Canucks needing an army, right, is that as good as Pedersen is, as good as Hughes is, as good as Besser is, and they're, you know, top pair, number one caliber defensemen, uh, top line caliber forwards, star players, superstar players in Pedersen's case. This team probably still needs another elite piece to be a real contender up front. Like, even among that top nine group that we think of as the strength of the team, they're probably still another elite piece away. And and that was sort of the point. Uh, so I don't think Lyndon would look at this and be altogether surprised. Uh, 650-650, final few minutes of the show here. And, you know, one thing I want to throw out there is, you know, we're, we're talking about apathy and, and the sense of deja vu and all of that. I, I think another word to kind of sum it up is confidence. Confidence in this team is at an extreme low point. And I, and I just want to kind of survey the audience what would it take at this point i know we're going to get a lot of you know fire this person fire that person those are completely valid opinions what would it take at this point to restore at least some level to start the process of restoring confidence in this group because again there are a lot of teams where you have a bad start to the season and people are frustrated, but then you win six games in a row and people are happy and look if this team wins six games in a row yes of course there will be a lot of people who are more happy with the team, but it also feels like this this team is not a six game winning streak away from rebuilding confidence, right? Like it, it's uh, the task, that would help. It would help, but it's still then the next five hiccup, points out of a playoff spot. Next, with Sixty nine games to play, Jamie. The next hiccup though would still feel mon- monumental, right? Totally. Yeah, and that's the difference, right? It, it's six games is not going to a six game winning streak. Vital, they need it. Yes, it would help. Of course, it would. But it's not going to erase so much of what has come before. My, my opinion is this season needs to work. The changes they made in the offseason, like, this needs to work. And it needed to work because of what came before it. It needed to work because of the way that the organization conducted itself after the success. Like, 
the bubble success would have bought this organization some time, right? But then the way that Tanev and Markstrom and Toffoli yep. departed, and then the way that 2021 season played out, dented all that confidence. It was like, oh, like, you know, they never got to ride the wave that they were the team on the rise that they looked like in the bubble. It was like undone a month out. In the first three weeks after the team left at the Edmonton bubble, already the market knew that, oh, you know, probably this team's not trending in the right direction the way they seemed to be in Edmonton. And and then it played out exactly that way. And then the team made a bunch of changes this offseason. And I've always said, I think this team entered the season with more curiosity than they did real expectations yep. in this marketplace. I think people thought they'd be fun to watch. I think they were willing to, you know, embrace the chaos and sort of see what this team could accomplish. And right off the bat, they can't kill a penalty. Right off the bat, you know, they're not scoring. They're not even fun to watch, right? Uh, that, again, has got us into this pub, you know, consumer confidence crisis that this club has been working through fitfully for much of the past half decade. And, you know, for me, it's going to take it working. Like, it needs to work, and it needs to work over the long term. It's not enough for Oliver ekman Larson to exceed expectations, which he has, even though the defense was a problem against the Avalanche. It's not enough for Connor Garland to be this team's best forward, right? Like, it, it, what they also need is the defense with Pullman and Hamannick and, you know, all the hope bets that they've placed to pay off. What it needs is this team to make a real playoff run, to be in the playoffs, to accomplish what the team said they'd accomplish, because that's the other side of this. Throughout this rebuild, which the team didn't even call a rebuild until like 2017, right? The club has been like, we'll make the playoffs. We're, we're going for it. We, you know, we feel an obligation to the Sedin Twins to make the playoffs. We feel, you know, we're right there. We're a piece away. You know, if we can just be harder to play against, we'll make the playoffs. If we can just stay healthy, we'll make the playoffs. If Edler can just stay healthy, oh boy, we'll make the playoffs. And all along, this club has never lived up to the promises made. And I think that's a big part of why we're at the point that we're at. Uh, lots of text coming in on that question. This one, very similar to what you were just outlining there, Drancer. Unsigned says, in order to restore confidence, they need to go on a run. They need to play to their potential on the power play. They need to not be 30th in the league on the penalty kill. Their star players need to play up to their contracts. They need to show that they are who we were pitched they were coming into the season. I think that sums it up pretty well, right? Like that, and, and that's a laundry list of things that need to improve. There's no one simple fix. We can point to the penalty kill, but a lot of other things have to get better as well. Uh, this text comes in, Sam in Richmond says, I don't understand why this station constantly shelters Travis Green. When he first came to Vancouver, the team was bad because he had no good players to play with. Well, now he does, and the team is just as bad. He says, Green isn't an NHL coach. I don't believe the notion that he'd get scooped up if he gets fired. Let's get a proven winning coach here, he says, Bruce Boudreaux. That's Sam in Richmond. We saw... the. We saw what happened with Willie Desjardins here, right? Where at the end of his tenure, pretty much everyone said, great guy, not an NHL coach. And that's been borne out, right? I know he had the stint with the Kings in an interim capacity, but Willie Desjardins is not on anyone's... Was there a lot of great guy? <laughs> People liked Willie. <laughs> People liked Willie. But... <laughs> I don't know. There has not been a... You know, I think Willie Torts, Desjardins... Torts gets more great guy. Yeah. Willie Desjardins I'm is serious. not on anyone's, like, oh, he's going to be a coaching can an NHL coaching candidate list. I think Travis Green would absolutely get another shot in the NHL. Maybe oh, not no. next year, Don't but he would yourself. absolutely get another Don't shot. Don't kid yourself. There's no question about that. The 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 idea that he wouldn't is not a serious one. If, if you talk to people around the business, there's no question that he would. Um... So yeah, I mean that don't uh, that's not even worth entertaining. That's like a fan 
that's a fan take, not someone who talks to the industry. And I don't mean to be dismissive of a fan take. I'm not saying he'd get scooped up like day one, but no. you know, there, there's no question that Green has a lot of regard around the league. Partly because of the work in the bubble, right? Partly because of the work in the bubble and partly because of the success that some of these young players have had uh, being integrated right off the hop. In a league that is trending young, one of Green's calling cards is, you know, people around the league admire how he managed Pedersen and Hughes as rookies and young players. Even though now, you know, Pedersen's among the players struggling, that's still something that I think has earned him a fair bit of respect and and regard around the league. Um, The fact is, the fact is, uh, you know, I think, I think, and it's my opinion, and you can disagree with me. I think Green's a bright guy. Um, I think Green's a at least average coach. I think he might be a little bit better than that. Uh, but, but I also think if you're frustrated with this team and looking at the special teams and saying that's unacceptable, you're right. Like yep. if you if you think that this team should be capable of more, you're right. So you know, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go to the hilt to defend green today I, I no one no one there's a lot of blame to go around right now there's a lot of things that this team needs to get sorted the head coach is ultimately part of that yeah and you know we say eight years is a long time this is green's fifth season that's a long time in NHL head coaching in the NHL head coaching world as well so I understand the frustration you know we said it off the top you can choose anyone on the hockey operations under the hockey operations umbrella for the Vancouver Canucks and levy some very very fair criticism at them right now so yes absolutely you can pick apart different things that Travis Green has done as you said the special teams are a mess that's completely fair it for me it's always about where does it fall in the kind of priority list and for Travis Green not near the top of my list right now okay that's gonna do it from us love the interaction love the feedback keep it coming on 650 here throughout the course of the day 650 650 again the Dunbar Lumber text line two Canucks games back to back on the weekend, we will be back on Monday at 11 to break it all down. It's Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650.